0: And, and that's why I get, I, I'm very passionate about reaching people, not just people who struggle with addiction. But I think on some level, we are all sin addicted, and we're all broken. And, you know, some of us may look forward to drugs, other of us look forward to money, and others of us look forward in sex, others of us look forward and I mean, you name it, some of us look forward even in our, in our works. And we're such, we've been such a good little, you know, like the elder brother of the prodigal story, you know, we just feel like, We've been so good that uh, God just owes us uh, salvation. And so all those groups are, are, have a distorted identity and they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And it's only in that real freeing and liberating love of Christ that we can start to become the people who he made us to be.
1: I live just down the road from Walt Disney World, a theme park that claims to be the happiest place on earth. Well, according to a 2019 World Happiness Report, that honor in fact belongs to the citizens of Finland. On the other hand, my country, the United States of America, keeps falling down in the rankings. How is that possible? What is it that is stealing the happiness away from Americans these days? In a word, addiction. According to co-author Jeffrey Sachs, this year's report provides sobering evidence of how the compulsive pursuit of substance abuse and addictive behaviors is causing severe unhappiness and depression in the United States. In the report, Sachs describes the U.S. as a mass addiction society. So is it true? Has the land of liberty turned into the land of bondage? Have we become a society of addicts? I suppose we can only answer that question by first looking at ourselves. Have you ever felt stuck in a cycle of behavior that you hate but can't seem to break free from? Has fear or shame kept you from reaching out to others for help? If so, you're not alone. In this episode, I was privileged to interview Pastor Richie Halverson, who has candidly spoken and written about his battle with addiction. I got a chance to meet him in person at a church planning conference a couple years ago, but mostly I've been impressed by his ministry from a distance. I find in many ways his story resembles my own that I shared in episode one. For those of you who don't know, Richie Halverson is an evangelist, church planner, and is currently the lead pastor of Bowman Hills Seventh-day Adventist Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. I hope you are inspired by my conversation with him as much as I was. I started the interview by asking him how he likes living in Tennessee.
0: Yeah, we we love it. My my uh, we of course my wife and I kind of consider ourselves Tennesseans. We met in Nashville, Tennessee. It's where I was living at the time. We went to high school and started dating, got married, and was there for. Uh, quite a while. So being a pastor's kid, we kind of travel all over, but, uh, Tennessee's the closest thing I would say to being a little bit more of a permanent home. So Tennessee, yeah, we love Tennessee. When we came here, it was kind of like coming back home. So we, we really enjoy the area.
1: Yeah. I love going up there. I live in Florida and, uh, if we couldn't live next to the beach, we would definitely want to live in the mountains. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I know you're an evangelist and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out in the world today who struggle to believe um, and they either, at least in my experience, they either struggle to believe that God is real or, or that God is love. And, and so as an evangelist, um, which struggle do you come across most often when you're working with people?
0: You know, I think it uh, is the I think both of those kind of go in together. I think the reason why people have a hard time believing in God is because um, they they can't reconcile a loving God in kind of a broken world that we have today. And so, you know, often they won't believe in a God because they don't feel like they see the love of God in the world and with some of the, you know, just terrible crime and violence and things that you see and terrible things happen to good people, you know? So I, I, I think that's something that's on people's mind. And I think that's kind of a struggle with both of those elements. Um, you know, I deal with those both on a, a regular basis, I think. Um, and, and, that, and that's why I think the gospel is just kind of so central uh to, to kind of get into the gospel and what is that and that in Christ we do see a li- a living God, you know, that he is that exact image of God. And when we see him and his love and we see what he did, I think that's where we open up, you know, a list of rules and, and things like that, and, and just a book of morality, it doesn't really convey that love. But when we see Jesus the person, you know, we can kind of come to believe, I believe that's kind of the best hope that the world has uh, at, at coming to terms and, and believing in a God, because that's um, that's kind of the, the real essential message there, you know?
1: Definitely. And I love that you brought out Jesus as kind of the answer to both those questions, um, because you have flesh and blood Um and then you also have the action of, of a life lived. And so, you know, when I think about the Bible, you know, it's full of stories about, you know, who God is and, and, and about his character. And so I was just curious to kind of get us started uh, in our discussion today. What is one of your favorite stories you like to share, um, maybe in evangelism or just in general that illustrates this idea that, that God is real and, and he is love?
0: Yeah, you know, the thing that I really migrate towards in my in my preaching and my teaching and you name it is and that's what I love about the Bible is it does not uh, downplay the brokenness of people and it it really in fact uh, you know showcases it, you know, and 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 so what I love about that is is if you if you really read the Bible, you know, usually people are turned off by Christians because of Christians. You know, you've got judgmental people. You've got these people who hypocrites is one of the biggest things against the Christian church. You know, they don't really uh, love like they say they should love. And when you, you know, and so that's one of the biggest things. I think we've done an injustice in that we have kind of presented this idea that we don't make mistakes and we don't mess up and our kids don't struggle with drugs and alcohol and our you know and 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 we present that and we, we we set people up for failure with that and so that's what i love about the bible is to really present the stories that reveal you know jesus did not pick a bunch of well-adjusted church members to be his disciples you know <laughs> he, he 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 picked fishermen and you know uh, these guys who were worried of had pride These, uh, you know, Matthew, Levi, you know, tax collectors, these people that no one else in their right mind would have ever chosen, you know, God chose. And, you know, we see that in the life of David. We see that in the life of, you know, Moses, you know, uh, Moses is the, you know, just loses his temper and, and kills someone. And so I think we can see ourselves, uh, I hope you don't kill anyone, but we can see an element of ourselves. We've definitely lost our tempers and, uh, and kind of lose it. And so that's the element that I like to really come at from that angle. Uh, Abraham, you know, he, he lied, but yet God still made him the father of many nations. And, and, you know, so these people were not infallible, but they served an infallible God. And, and we believe that by grace we are saved. And so we see even in these old patriarchs and, you see it in hebrews in this faith's hall of fame it's like all their negative qualities are no longer remembered only their good qualities are mentioned in hebrews and so it's because of that beautiful wonderful kind of gift of grace so i think everybody wants to hear hope you know and i think that's the key we've got to give people hope that you know what you're not the worst person that's ever lived and You've made some mistakes and you're probably not done making mistakes, but God excels at helping people and and transforming people who've made mistakes.
1: Amen. Yeah, I know for me personally, you know, one of the stories that, that I connect with is this, you know, the story of the prodigal son, of course, it's a parable, but is there a story that you have found in the Bible that really connects with your own story?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's a there's kind of a lot of stories that I could I could go with. Um, I think that uh, Prodigal Son certainly I can relate to that on many levels, but I I think one of my favorite stories is the story of Peter. And when and when and and, and the denial, Peter's denial of Christ, I think that's the ultimate example of what I'm kind of getting at is you know Peter's here. He's he wants to be strong. He wants to follow Jesus, um, but he just lacks the power. And he says, "You know, I'd die for you." And Jesus just tells him, "No, you're not going to die for me. In fact, you're going to deny you even know me three times." And what's and what's beautiful about that story and that I love is in John's gospel is he he immediately follows up the "You're going to deny me" with but let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my father's. And he goes into this story of, I mean, and and that's what's amazing. It's right after he's just told Peter, you're going to fail me. uh, He tells them, but I've made a place for you and I'm going to come back to get you. And so that's the ultimate story to me of redemption. And it's kind of the echo of every story in the Bible is from, you know, from failure to redemption. And so I would say that's probably one, one of my favorite Stories in the Bible is that story of Peter's failing, but then also the conversation Jesus has with Peter on the shore when he he kind of restores him. You know that whole that whole interaction is probably one of the ones that I can really identify with.
1: Can you share a little bit about you know your your story and and because um, I'm I'm not sure everybody's heard it.
0: Yeah, so I grew up uh I was the son of a of an evangelist uh, my family I kind, of, kind of come from a family of pastors and evangelists uh, my uncle Ron and my dad Richard and then uh, other family and and so that's kind of the the environment that I grew up in and as I mentioned you know something that I kind of was excited about it was you know as a young person it was exciting to be a part of something that was bigger than yourself being a part of something like that and seeing people's lives change. And those were the elements of ministry that I really kind of loved, you know, growing up. But then, you know, you get a little bit older and you, you you think you're getting wiser, but really you're getting dumber, you know, and you get into the high school years and you, you think, you know, everything and, and, you know, I just reached this point where I started to kind of drift from and that's how it happens you know it's i think this i think a drift is a great word to describe how we can kind of drift away from faith because you know one second we're we're kind of focused and the next minute we're drifted off course and we don't really know how we got off base you know as quickly as we did but that's kind of what happened and it wasn't anything specific it was just kind of the same old story um you know, started hanging out uh, with the, you know, wrong group of people kind of, you know, and these weren't bad people, but like me, they were kind of just out to kind of experience life. And I thought that you get the point where, you know, maybe I was, you know, growing up as a Christian or a pastor's kid, maybe that I had missed out on a lot of living. And how do I know Christianity is the true faith? And how do I know this? And, and just started reading a lot of stuff and kind of absorbing a lot of pulp culture that kind of questioned these things. And so I naturally started questioning them and, you know, just kind of fell into that kind of party lifestyle in high school during the the second half of my high school experience. And, you know, that just escalated to where, you know, uh, you keep partying every weekend and then it, Gets to the point where you're partying on the weekdays, and you know it just it, that's kind of the way it was. Um, and then we graduated, and you know my wife and I we had been dating for a little while, and we we ended up getting married just about six months uh, after I graduated, uh, more like probably nine months after I graduated, and and we had a baby on the way, and so suddenly I was nineteen and kind of had a whole lot of responsibility crashing in and I was probably the least responsible I've ever been in my life. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I was still kind of in that party mode. I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to stay out late. I didn't want to be responsible. I didn't want to be accountable to my wife or to, you know, and I wanted to be a father and I love my, my son, but it was just a matter of where I was still very immature and, and still very much part of that, uh, you know, the party culture, which eventually changes, you know, as someone I once heard says, you know, you, it starts out you doing the drugs, but in the end, the drugs do you. And, and that's kind of the way it is, you know, you're, you know, you're using them in the beginning and then they use you in the end. And so it, 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 it just changes from having a good time to where you realize you're using just to live and it's becoming a normal way of life and you don't know how to live without. And so that kind of happened pretty quickly. I mean, and you know, it, 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 you know, went from recreational drug use to serious drug use. And, and then there would be moments of sobriety. There would be moments when I would just get rid of everything and not do anything for a year or so, but then the enemy would always keep coming in through the back door. And one of the ways that he really came in through the back door was through, you know, opiates and, uh, prescription pain medicine. And, you know, and, and I really think that the, you know, the enemy used this idea that, oh, well, it's prescribed by a doctor, you know, that's okay. That's different than the drugs you used to buy on the street and use. Um, but you know, your body doesn't know the difference. And so it has absolutely no difference, you know, whether you, uh, you get a painkiller from a doctor or you buy or you buy it from the street. It's just, it's all the same thing. And your body doesn't know a difference. And so, you know, it just kind of, you know, I f- was thoroughly addicted and was using every day. Um, you know, I was going to doctors with a doctor shopping for the, for several years where you just hop from doctor to doctor, place to place. And, you know, and the lying that goes into that and the dishonesty and just the manipulation and the con that has to go into that. It's a vicious cycle. And you feel the guilt and shame from doing that, which leads to you got to use drugs to cover it up, which leads to the shame and guilt, which leads to the drugs, which leads to the shame and guilt. And it's just that vicious cycle that continues to get worse and worse and worse. And and then you reach points where, of course, your your tolerance gets stronger and and you have to take more and more. And it was getting to where I could not get enough drugs to, to 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 just curb that and you come to these crossroads and you have a choice either I stop using or I stoop to a new level in my drug use and so often because the drugs kind of take control and you 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 lose your ability um, to make good choices and your freedom that often you choose the wrong thing and you go to that next level. And so, you know, the criminal behavior comes in and, you know, and before long I'm arrested. And then again, you kind of go to a new level of shame and guilt and just was in and out of treatment centers and jails and institutions for the next several years. And, uh, you know, it was a nightmare for my family uh, who I had two kids at the time this time by this time and Brit my wife Brittany just the roller coaster ride that she was on because addiction as you learn, if you've studied it and you've come to know it as I have and as many people have mm-hmm. is it, it's a it's a family disease it doesn't just affect the addicts it affects those that that love the addict and and very often they get affected they're so used to being lied to that they've had to change the way they deal with life and so codependency and addiction kind of goes hand in hand and and so that's why very often people families of addicts have to get recovery as much as the addicts do and so you know it was just a very toxic situation and Long story short, finally, um, at the end, you know, I was living out of my car and uh, was kicked out of a halfway house there in Nashville, Tennessee, where I was living and was living out of my car and had four warrants for my arrest, um, had four different felony charges that we're we're facing with a new one that uh, they wanted to charge me with. And so... I kind of reached that point that uh, bottom or thought I did, you know, and so I had the opportunity to go to treatment one last time. And so I had uh, just gotten off the phone with the sheriff's department and they had told me they had another warrant for my arrest. And, you know, they, they, it was, it was before it was Christmas, it was Christmas Eve. And they told me, you know, hey, wait till after the holidays, turn yourself in because, you know, you're going to be going away for a little while. And so when I had the opportunity to go into treatment, I jumped at it, you know, if it would prolong me from having to go to jail at least a little bit. So went to treatment, went through a 30 day program had been to treatment many a times before. But this time it clicked and it had nothing to do with the treatment center, as far as one being better than the other, I have a lot of people who will come to me and say, oh, which one did you go to? As though if they go to the one I went to, they'll stay clean or their kids will stay clean. And that's just not true. You know, the treatment center just kind of dusts you off and it puts you on your feet. And what you do with what they teach you and what you do after that is the key. And so I uh, went to the treatment center, you know, went through the 30 days, got out and I was just, I was ready to stay clean, you know. My first night in that treatment facility, I contemplated leaving and going out there and trying to score some drugs, sneaking out of the treatment facility, which was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it was out in Idaho. I, I flew out to Idaho to go to this treatment center, and it was in the middle of nowhere, and it was at winter time, and it was very it was New Year's Eve when I got there, and, and so it was just... Uh, insanity to think I could sneak out and and go score drugs and then try to sneak back in anybody who even knows anything about treatment facilities knows that you can't get away with stuff like that and so uh but but as I was contemplating sneaking out um was when you know I really I felt God for the first time in my life um in a long time you know, in the most audible voice I had heard God speak to me and I don't I think it was audibly in my head I don't believe it was audibly anywhere else but it seemed to just kind of scream in my head was Richie if you go out there you're gonna die which I had had doctors and all kinds of counselors tell me that you know I was just uh, was using so much and um just miracle that I hadn't died already and and then God said you go out there you're gonna die but if you if you surrender your life to me, I'll give you a new way of life and I'll use you. And so, yeah, I got on my knees, got on my knees for the first time in a long time there and kind of surrendered my heart to God. And and from there, you know, I just got back into, you know, came back home. My wife was there at the airport to pick me up. I didn't know if she was going to do that. I didn't know if she was going to let me come back home, but she did. And, you know, started to work a program and stuff like that. So yeah, it was uh, kind of a crazy experience, but that's where that's where God kind of rescued me from. And, and that's where the transformation started to happen and the recreation and kind of the pick me up, turn me around and set my feet on solid ground started to happen. So, and, and that's why I get, I, I'm very passionate about reaching people, not just people who struggle with addiction, but I think on some level, we are all sin addicted and we're all broken. And, you know, some of us may look forward to drugs. Other of us look forward to money and others of us look forward in sex. Others of us look forward. To, and I mean, you name it, some of us look forward even in our in our works. And we're such we've been such a good little, you know, like the elder brother of the prodigal story. You know, we just feel like we've been so good that uh, God just owes us. Uh, salvation and so all those groups are are, have a distorted identity and they're looking for love in all the wrong places and it's only in that real freeing and liberating love of christ that we can start to become the people who he made us to be
1: yeah totally i mean i think um i think almost everyone is struggling with addiction and some level like you were saying. And uh, I read an article recently that labeled the United States, uh, as a mass addiction society. And, and yet we still seem to find it hard to talk openly about addiction. We, we want to give it, um, you, you know, another name or we, we want to downplay it or, you know, but but the reality is, there there is a lot of addiction out there, and not everyone has those moments that you were describing, where it just becomes, uh, you know, abundantly clear that if they don't stop what they're doing, um, you know, they're going to die. Um, but I, I had a similar experience um, that you're describing myself, and um, and and you know, I was in a similar. Uh, environment and and I just um, but you know I can relate completely with what you're sharing and yet a lot of people because whatever their issue is isn't maybe labeled uh, addictive um sometimes it's hard for them to relate to other people who who do struggle but but why do you think that is why do you think it's still kind of a a little bit of taboo uh, in the church, especially we think the last place and that that should be an issue would be in the church. But, but why do we, why do Christians or, or people of faith struggle with talking about addiction?
0: I think it's because I think there's several things in play there. I think, first of all, there's just that human nature of we, we like to, um, present ourselves in a in a better light than everybody else and if and if we can feel like we're better you know uh it's like you know thank the lord i'm not like that tax collector over there um and and i think that's one element of why we don't want to be associated with that and and you know well i've never you know done i've never been arrested i've never broken the law I And mean, we share these things to kind of make ourselves feel better, like, well, at least I'm not like that person. You know, and even in even in addiction, we used to be that way. You know, I mean, you know, the the you know, the junkies would be like, thank God I'm not like those crackheads over there. And the crackheads would be like, thank the Lord I'm not like, you know, those those meth heads over there. And, and you know, well at least I'm not like that guy living under the bridge. It's like you can play that game. Uh, and be very very sick individual uh, deep down and you never have to use drugs and still be just as sick spiritually as as an addict so I think I think that's one reason is that we 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 don't want to we're so worried that we'll give the wrong message if I think we admit that we have these struggles I think there was a time where we were afraid people would think that a oh well I guess that Christianity thing doesn't work. Uh, and I think it's because, you know, we're afraid that that was gonna be a bad reflection on that. But as I said earlier, we just did the church an injustice because we we kept pretending that in order to be a part of the church, you had to be perfect or that you you didn't struggle with these things. You know, and the people who did, who did struggle with them, they didn't love the Lord as much as the people who didn't struggle with them and i think i think that's why it has not been the church has not been a safe place for people to get honest about addiction it's still not a safe place for the most part i think it's getting better i will say even in the 10 years that i've been uh past, full-time pastor i've seen it get better um but it's just it's not a safe place just because We've not known what to do with it, and a lot of it's been because of ignorance. But it's also been because I think of fear of if we if we admit that we have, you know, that we struggle with the same things everybody else struggles with, and that maybe we're not as special as we thought we were. But uh, I, I think that's the biggest issue is just uh, of why you know we don't want to admit um but we we've got to because we've got our many kids and many people in uh in the churches are just are are dying from overdoses you know even here in cleveland man i i have a lot of fire uh firefighters in my in my church and first and first responders and and every time i talk to them almost every week they're like man i We had another OD uh, yesterday, and it's like daily, man. People are just dying, uh, and we've got to just get real about what's going on. the church has to get better about dealing with these issues.
1: Yeah, I think if there's any hope for for people out there who are struggling right now, they should, um, you know, if they can't find it in the church— um, man, that's that that does kind of leave people isolated, um, and, and especially if you happen to grow up in the church, and you find yourself struggling, um, and you know from experience that that's something that's not talked about. Um, what what an isolating experience! I, I can imagine that that must have. Um, inspired the, the title of your your book that, that you are, have written. That you don't have a release date exactly yet for it but it's entitled The Darkness Has Not Overcome um, that's I love that title. Tell me a little bit about the thought that went into the title and um, and, and is the book uh, kind of a uh, a retelling of your testimony or, or what what is it the book actually about?
0: So the book is, yeah, it's, it's basically my story and, uh, and my struggle with opiates. And so that's kind of, but I start at a young age and I kind of, I talk about a lot of the things I briefly shared, uh, on this podcast, uh, I, I delve into on a deeper level in this book. And I really, the purpose of this book was not to Uh, be a, a recipe of of you know this is how you stay get clean and stay clean it's not a handbook or a manual although it does have some of those elements in there I just wanted to really tell my story and I wanted to tell it because um since I have started, when I first went in the pastoral ministry, I did not tell my story. I did in snapshots. I didn't just come out and say it because I have a lot of the same fears that I think everybody has, and that is, man, if I get too honest about this, you know, they may not want me to be their pastor anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there was this element of, man, you know, I don't know if I should get too honest. And uh, but then, then I God really convicted me of, no, you you need to share your full story. And, um, and so I did, and, and God has always just really blessed that in that, I don't know, every time I present this at camp meetings and, and, you know, week of prayers and different events, people, I've had just lines of mothers and fathers in tears just basically saying, you, you told the story of my child. You're telling the story of what I went through. And when we identify with each other, then we can have hope. And, and that's where, you know, the, that's where I, I, I wanted to tell the story so people can see okay, someone can, we can recover, we can get better. Um, you know, the, the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And, and that's where the idea came from. No matter how dark things got in my life, or no matter how dark things get in your life or your child's life, You know, it will not overcome that light of Christ in our life. So, yeah, that's that's really what I wanted to achieve in that in that story. I mean, I really get into the, you know, I share the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'm I'm, I hate to say it, but mostly it's ugly. Um, I, I really get into the details there, not to share war stories. You know, in recovery, we called war stories. When you when you talk about the the using and and the getting the drugs, kind of like almost where you glory in it, we would call those war stories. And if someone told a war story, we would always tell them, "Look, stop sharing war stories. Get into the solution." You know, so we don't need to talk about how to use drugs. We all know how to use drugs. We just need to talk about how can we live a better life. And so I, 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 I'm a believer of that. But for this story, I did want to share where I came from so that people would understand and have the context uh, that led me to where I am today. And so I would say half of the book is really kind of sharing the ins and outs of my addiction and the low points and the thoughts that I was thinking uh, and and the things that I did and the desperation that I experienced. But then the other half of the book is about um, the recovery process and learning a new life and coming out of that experience.
1: Yeah, and to piggyback on that, what are some things that were helpful to you right away, um, you know, that 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 led you to sobriety? What what were some, you know, just briefly, you know, what I obviously, you know, these are complex in terms of implementation sometimes, but but just share a little bit about some 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 steps that you found helpful in your in your own life and what you share sometimes with others who ask, you know, hey, I'm stuck. I'm in this dark place. I feel like I'm completely alone. I feel like I'm I, I can't help myself. I know this is killing me, but I, I I can't seem to say no. And and every time I go back I feel horrible. I feel like, you know, the worst person in the world. But then that 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 shame just drives me back again and again. So what 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 do you what do you share with people when they ask you that?
0: So the thing that really saved my life was was 12step recovery. Um, that's the thing that uh, most treatment centers will kind of drive home that you, you gotta get in to 12step recovery. You got to go to meetings, you got to get a sponsor, you got to work the steps. Uh, and and so and any any kind of significant, long-term sobriety recovery is is usually 12-step based and so statistically uh, it has shown the best track record um it has showed the best um track record out of any other program and so that's what i got involved man i just did everything the way they said to do them because i had done it my way 50 times before and had messed up every time and so This time I did it and I went to a meeting and I got a sponsor and I went to a meeting every day for the first 90 days because if I used every day and if I lied every day and I got high every day, then I need to do something for my recovery every day. Mm -hmm. So I'd go to meetings every day for 90 days and really for the first year I went to a meeting every day and then it transitioned to about three meetings a week and then it transitioned to about two meetings a week. Um, but just to, yeah, getting in those steps, which are biblical. These these are these are spiritual principles. Twelve um, step recovery groups like NA and AA. Um, their their purpose is not to convert people to a particular religion. It's to help people stay clean from drugs and alcohol. And so um, sometimes people struggle with the whole, you know, the God of my understanding or higher power. And it, it's understandable if you go there, most of the people are not, are unabashedly share what they, what they kind of believe in, but, but the purpose of those meetings isn't to convert people. That's not AA or NA or some of these anonymous groups, their, their agenda, their agenda is help people to stay clean, whether they're Buddhist, whether they're Muslim, whether they're atheist, whether they're agnostic, uh, whatever they are, it's to really help them get clean, stay clean. And so that's what I did, man. I got in the meetings, I did what they told me to do, and hey, it worked. And then about a year after, a couple years after I was working the program, uh, there's a step uh, towards the end where it says we, we improved our conscious contact with God Um, And in that step, you're challenged to continually seek God and your understanding of God and to improve that conscious contact. And that's when I really started going back to church again. Um, I started going back to church. and, And a lot of people, when they get to that step, sometimes, you know, I've known a lot of people who they go to church because that's kind of the next place they can go to to continue growing in God. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's what I did. And that's what I highly recommend anybody because in, in 12 step meetings you have, and you do have some Christ centered meetings like celebrate recovery. That's a, that's a good program. Uh, and yeah, it's unabashedly Christian. Um, but it depends on what you're struggling with. You know, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're using, if you're a hardcore addict, you know, if you're a heroin, if you're a junkie. I wouldn't suggest someone to go to to CR at first. I would tell them they probably need to go to Narcotics Anonymous. They probably, you know, if you're a hardcore alcoholic, you probably should check out AA. Just because they're a little bit more suited to deal with that, you're going to get more identification. Whereas at CR, you may have some of that depending on how big the meeting is. But then you're going to have a lot of other people there that are struggling with, with, you know, Maybe uh, different things that are completely different that you're not going to be able to relate to as much. They're not as equipped to deal with your specific struggle. Um, And so that's yeah. So that's how I I got clean, stay clean. And that's what I recommend to anybody is get plugged into a 12 step meeting. And uh, the, the beauty of those are you can go in there and you can get completely honest. And so I would highly recommend a lot of times people are skeptics about meetings and they've never been to one. And so I always recommend people go check one out and you'll see that the, the freedom and the ability to share what you're going through and for that to be absolutely um, anonymous where you're no one's going to share it outside the rooms. What is said in the room stays in the rooms, the freedom to do that and not be judged, but to be told, keep coming back. We want you here that the only the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop using. It doesn't even say you have to stop using. You've got to have a desire to stop using. And so those kind of things have created a real safe environment where people can get clean and, and remain clean. And then I do believe church plays a natural part in helping, partnering up uh, with other groups uh, to, to help people in that journey.
1: I appreciate you sharing that because uh, I, as a pastor, I've heard a lot of, you know, misconceptions out there um, about these recovery groups, and um, but I agree with you 100. Um, percent I think they're biblically based and they're proven, and uh, you know, I appreciate you, you, um, you know, highlighting that for us for us today, and and you know what, just kind of to follow up on that, what you know, you said you were, you, it was about a year after you were attending the group that you started attending church. What happened? Like, how did you become, uh, end up becoming a pastor? What was the, um, the timeline, I guess maybe is a better way. I know you don't have time to go into all the detail, but like, what was the timeline from the moment you stepped back into church to the moment that you became a pastor?
0: Sure. Well, you know, you're going to want to pick up my book to really yeah, get yeah, the yeah. timeline. But yeah, um, it, you know, I had to throw that shameless plug in there. No, if, um, but, but really, it was. You know, it was. I don't know exactly, but I would say it was close to. I think close to five years, maybe three, maybe four years of that I was clean and working a program. I was already doing ministry. I was working in the printing industry. Um, we printed Steps to Christ. I had developed the Steps to Christ for evangelism. It was a magazine format and it, it kind of was used as a dual role of promoting an evangelistic event, but also saturating the book Steps, Steps to Christ into, into homes. So they would read it, but it would also have the promo for the evangelistic series that was coming. And so, you know, I was involved in ministry and I was doing that just a two, two years after I was clean. I was working in that, doing that, going to different places and speaking, and, and, you know, that was exciting. But then I would say about four years after I got clean, uh, I finished. I, I went back to college and, uh, and, and graduated uh, from Austin P State University in Tennessee, Clarksville, Tennessee, with my uh, bachelor's of, of corporate communications and public relations. And so I graduated. When I graduated, I had two job offers, essentially. I mean, I'm cutting a lot of details out, but essentially I had two offers. One was to to work for a hospital healthcare communications company in, in Washington. And then one was to be a pastor for a church there in, in uh, Gulf States. And just knowing what I the dialogue with the Lord that I had behind the scenes. You know, I was talking to one of my friends and uh, his father was the executive secretary of the Gulf States conference at the time. And I was talking to him, my friend and just saying, Hey, you know, cause I wasn't even thinking pastoral ministry, but I was like, Hey, do you think, uh, does Gulf States have anything for a communications guy or, you know, anything like that? Cause that's what I was thinking. And, And, and he says, no, I don't think so, but I'll, I'll ask my dad. And so then I got a call from his dad the next day and he calls me up and he says, Hey, Richie, I heard you're interested in becoming a pastor. And, you know, that's just kind of, I knew it was a God thing because I had never asked that. I had never even, I, I, I didn't go there at all, but yet you know, and I think of that verse where it says we don't even know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too too deep that our hearts can't, you know, that we can't express it. And, you know, so somewhere in that translation, it went from me asking about any kind of a communications position to, him hearing, I heard you want to be a pastor, or he wanted you know, considering that. And and I just, I, I just jumped in, absolutely, yes, I'm interested. And so, yeah, man, we had two offers, but I knew my heart. I had known for quite some time over the past four years, I couldn't sit into a sit, sit in a church service. And every sermon I listened to, and every single time I heard a sermon and saw ministry playing out. I, I can't describe it, but my heart would burn, you know, it would just burn like this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be a part of. And, and uh, finally, God was working that out. So I jumped at it and, you know, they gave me the call to be there. Uh, the pastor uh, for the Montgomery First Seventh-day Adventist Church, the conference church there, a very unique circumstance that doesn't come uh, to, to pastors very often who are first getting into the ministry, especially one without the, um, you know, the degree and stuff like that. And so there was no doubt God was in it and leading and directing it and, and a part of that. And, and I've just, uh, Hey, God's been good to me ever since, you know, I got involved in Andrew's matting program, which I, I love and, and I'm about a year shy of up, finishing up that master's of pastoral ministry. And, and just some good stuff. So God's been good to me. And, uh, so that's probably been what it is. I've been clean for about 15 years, uh, and I've been pastoring a little over 10 years. And so that's, that's, that's basically the timeline.
1: Wow. And I'm sure there's so many more amazing stories that you get into in your book, um, about, you know, how God has, has restored um, things into your life. And, uh, so I definitely look forward to, to picking that up when it comes out. And, and so kind of to wrap things up, I mean, what, you know, there might be somebody right now, and I'm sure there is who, um, maybe they're living in denial or maybe they're feeling trapped. What, what do they need to hear right now? If you were speaking to yourself 15 years ago, what, what would you say?
0: You know, I think I would say, um, I would I would say what my high school uh, chemistry teacher uh, told me when I was using, and I had come to church, and I was leaving uh, right after church, and it was right before, it was right midst when it was really bad. And he kind of chased me out of the parking lot, and he just told me, Richie, I know that I can tell that you're not uh, happy and that you're going through something. And, and he just told me, he says, Richie, it doesn't have to be that way. He goes, you can, you can live a new life. It doesn't have to be this way. Now he didn't know of anything about what I was going through. Really. He just knew I was, he knew I had changed. He knew I was struggling. He could see it. And, and I, and I, I would say that to anybody, um, it doesn't have to be this way you can recover you're no different than i was you're no more addicted than i was uh you can get clean stay clean and live a new life um the good news is we do recover we can get better you can't arrest, arrest addiction you know you just got to get honest you know this all the steps begin with that first step we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and our lives to become unmanageable Until you can admit that, honesty, then it doesn't matter, and that goes for everybody in life. Until you can get honest about your sin, until you can get honest about what you're going through, uh, you can never live a new life, you can never experience change, Uh, so it it has to start with honesty. You got to get real about what you're going through, and if you can't get real about it with someone at your church, get real with someone, uh, go to a meeting. You know, and get real with someone there. Uh, go get some counseling and get real with with someone there. you know, talk to a colleague, Get real with someone at work or someone that you, you you believe you can trust, and get honest and be willing to do the work that it takes to to change. you know It's simple, but it's not easy, uh, you know, to change. it's 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 simple because it basically just is, I can't, God can. And I think I'll let it. Those are the three steps in change. Um, and it's gotta be willing to do those three. It's simple, but it's not always easy. It's hard work and you gotta be willing to invest it. You know, we would always say if you did, if you, if you invested half the time and energy in your recovery that you spent in getting drugs and getting high, if you just put half of that time into recovery, you'll stay clean and you'll never use again. And, uh, And that's the truth.
1: Wow. That is, that's, that's powerful. Um, and, and like you said, it's, it's simple and yet it, it feels like the hardest thing to do, um, when, when you're in that dark place. But, you know, I I think it's something we all have to do. And that's like you said, it doesn't matter. We, we all are struggling. We all have, um, you know, whether it's just being honest with God, you know, you think that would be simple, but sometimes we um, don't even go there. But I think what you're saying too is we need to be honest with with somebody else, with another human being as well, and um, and 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 there's um, healing that comes as a result of that. And mm-hmm. and so what you know, the theme of our podcast um, is be ready for Jesus, and and I'm I want to connect it back to that because. You know, there is a connection, I believe, between recovery and being ready for Jesus. And as an evangelist, what how do you see those two connected with each other? How do you see recovery and and and, and looking forward to the soon coming of Jesus? How do you see those two working together?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, you know, the the message of you know, the message that we have. Goes hand in hand, I believe, with recovery, uh, because we, you know, we teach that that G- you know Jesus promised life, but not just life, life more abundantly. You know, God wants us to live the fullest life we can live. He wants us to live the longest life that we can live. He wants us to live the most fruitful life and ministry that we can live, and. Recovery breaks down in a very simple form to how to live a more happy, joyous and free life where, you know, and, and, and with that being said, you know, the gospel, you know, what Jesus started to do when he came the first time, the kingdom of God you know, is it, is at hand, you know, Jesus was healing people. And, and he's, he would always say, you know, the kingdom of God is, is here. You know, it was, it was there. Jesus was healing people. People could see blind. People could see deaf people could hear. And, and all of a sudden their lives were changed. Dead people came back to life. And that was basically Jesus saying, this is what my, this is what my kingdom looks like. And when Jesus returns again, that's what it's all going to be like, you know. Every every deaf person's going to hear, every blind person's going to see, and every single tear uh, is going to be no more. And so, uh, what the church is called to do is live out the future reality, which is, um, you know, which will happen when Christ returns. We're to live in that reality today, to live a happier, freer, more joyous life. People should see us and see that future reality um, that's coming when Christ returns, you know, uh, that we don't have to be controlled by what we eat, that what we eat does affect us, you know, these are things that we learn in recovery, and and somewhere along the line, we kind of, in Christianity as a main, we, we threw that out, like, oh, you can eat whatever you want, and it doesn't matter, when we know that's not true, and even in recovery, we have elements where we learn aspects of that and and so what we eat does matter and taking care of our body does matter. And, you know, being more honest and having more faith and having more, um, you know, surrendering more to Christ, that's, that's what recovery is all about. So that goes hand in hand with the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think it, it makes a real simple form of ways that I can live a better life. And so for me, it, 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 uh, I I can't separate the two. Um, To me, they go hand in hand. Um, And I think um, because whether we're recovering from pride or we're recovering from, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, the recovery can be a part of that process. We need to become, we need to be a, a community of people again who have everything in common, who love each other, who have fun with each other and do things with each other, you know, that needs to happen. The church needs to look, I think a little bit more like your 12 step meetings and your fellowships, because I think once we see that, um, you know, once we love each other, you know, this by this, the world will know that you're my disciples, the love you have for each other. Once people see that, you know, um, then they'll, the end will be here and Jesus will return. We know that's going to happen. And so for that, I think, is the most important thing. I mean, and you get that in the steps and the steps you take a moral inventory. You look at everything in your life. You know, you you make amends. You know, I mean, tell me, don't tell me there isn't a church that couldn't benefit if all of its members made a moral inventory and a list of people they had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. You know, these are these are just things that are have been in the Bible for centuries, and things that we just need to get back to practicing. and Recovery does that in a very simple way.
1: I'm very inspired, I have to say, and I'm also um, just struck by the, you know, the theme of the Bible. Really, when I, when you were saying all that, is recovery. I mean, it literally yep. is from Genesis three through Revelation twenty you know, that is the, (laughs) that's the mess that God is trying to, to, to recover back to what it was in Genesis one and two. And we see the result in, in Revelation 21 and 22. And I I think that really is the message that the world needs to hear that recovery is possible and that recovery is the work of God. It's, it's the creating of the new heart. It's, it's the new life, and and it needs to happen in the church. and And I agree with you. I think once the church becomes a place where people can be accepted completely for who they are, and they do not have to hide behind a perception, um, we are going to see um, the church become not just relevant, but 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 um, impactful in the world. And um, you know, just kind of closing things out. Um, you know, when when you think about your own hope, um, how how would you describe your hope? You know, just based on what you've seen God do in your life um, over these last fifteen years, um, how has that strengthened your hope in 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 a God of love? How how has this strengthened your resolve to to follow Christ? Because kind of bringing it back to where we started, you, you mentioned Peter as kind of your Um, your biblical character that you relate to the most?
0: Peter had good intentions, and he meant to do the right thing. And I think we all, deep down, want to do the right thing. Um, But somewhere along the line, um, Peter fell short, as we all fall short. And in fact, he didn't just fall short, you know, he fell on his his face and, and really made a mess of things. And, you know, I can certainly relate that in my life. Um, But the best news is that, you know, Jesus didn't leave him there. He, you know, he went to the cross. Uh, He was killed for the sins that we committed, for the abuses that we enacted, for the denials that we made. Uh, And then, you know, he went to the tomb and then he broke out of the tomb. And when Jesus broke out of the tomb, that new creation began. And uh not just uh, in Peter's life, but in all of our lives. That same resurrection power is available to us today. And, and you know, that's the thing. That's what God wants. He, he doesn't just want to save us. Yes, he wants to do that. But he wants to transform us. You know, he doesn't just want to save us. He wants to resurrect us. And that's the promise that we have in Christ is resurrection and restoration. And so that's what... Um, that's what I would like. You know, that's what I experienced. That's what I happened to me in my life. And so um, that's available to anybody else, you know, that wants to take them up on his offer.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today exploring recovery from addiction with Pastor Richie Halverson. And that is why I also want to encourage you to get his forthcoming book, The Darkness Shall Not Overcome, when it is released. If you would like more resources to help you and the ones you love to be ready for Jesus, then I also want to encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com. Where you can find transcripts of many of our previous episodes and a link to my free ebook Seventh Day Rest. Furthermore, if you like this episode, share it with a friend or better yet, please leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. It really makes a difference. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today and I look forward to seeing you next time on Adventology. Until then, Maranatha.